Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. The title of this message is, What is the Value of What You Are Seeking? And when we think about when you think about things, the first thing, obviously, is time is valuable. And when I, was, when I was listening to my wife about organizing my thoughts and not, uh, not trying to chase the clock, it reminded me of those commercials you hear on the radio when they're advertising a car for sale. And when they and they're loud because have you ever noticed that the the volume on commercials both on the radio and on television are double what you had the setting set on. Yeah. And um, anyway, and they get on there and they talk and uh, they'll start with now for the legal stuff and then they're one at this price subject to prior sale. And I thought, who in the world gets a job speaking that quick? Uh, how do you audition for something like that? And, and what do they do? They, they tape it and then they slow it down so that you can actually understand it. But then I began to realize that it's had an impact on the young people because when Kathy and I go through the drive-in, maybe it's Starbucks or something, the person taking our order talks that fast. And it's amazing, I mean, the young people especially. But anyway, um, with Christmas approaching, uh, it brings to mind uh, childhoods of many of us, some of you not so much, but there was a day when about this time of the year, probably closer to the end of October, the Sears or Montgomery Wards or Penny's wish books would come out. And... I don't know what your recollection was, but I remember when they came out, we would go through those catalogs, and we would go through every detail. And you know, if you want to teach children to read, turn back the clock and bring those, because you sit down and you will read, and you'll learn reading, and you'll know how many army men you get, and all this stuff. And this is the kind of thing that we experienced. So we would page through that and the earmark it and circle stuff, and they were worn out well before Christmas. But what we were doing was we were seeking, and the value of what we were seeking at that time was so important. We started with toys, and for boys it started with army men and stuff like that, and it worked its way up to fishing stuff and BB guns, and pretty soon 22s. And so... Those things were so valuable to us, and we were seeking. We, we'd go through that, come up with something that we thought that uh, our parents should know, that Santa should know about, and the values of those things today, well, unfortunately, me and my brothers just ruined all the toys that we had, but Kathy got the original Barbies, and she took care of everything that she had, and then she ended up giving to her cousins. Now, if we had them today on the secondary collectible market, we probably could buy a Mercedes. <laughs> so, 
But I, I, um, the seeking part was the part that is occurring to us for everything that we're doing lately, especially involved with uh, getting information on the internet and that kind of thing. Which brings me to the first scripture I have uh, is out of Acts 17, verse 21. For the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Paul is in Athens, and the, the Lord is, has him in his ministry uh, to seek out more in the Gentile world. And the Athenians uh, and those around them were a bunch of intellectuals, and they had all these different gods and all these different philosophies and things of that nature. And it seems to me, based on this, uh, this scripture, they were seeking. They were all the time seeking, looking for something. But what was the value of what they were looking for? Well, it probably wasn't too valuable because they were always looking for something else or something new. And um, the world is kind of that way. We have all these different things that have come to us through inventions and stuff like that. And yet, we know now that technology is surpassing uh, just what occurred a few years ago. I mean, the things that we had in our house growing up, you don't have anymore. The things that... Uh, we will have boggles our mind. Our phones boggle our mind right now. Things of that nature. So I want to share with you some of the things that kind of, they're kind of scary. But because of the access that we have for information on the internet and phones and media devices, entertainment, uh, which is an ample supply in our nation, has become a drug for young and old alike. Uh, the cultural commentators have said that America is, quote, amusing itself to death, unquote. And there is evidence to support that. Well, some things don't change, because that's what the Athenians were doing, and that's what's happening a lot today. I wanted to share with you the issues involving the distractions of of media and internet and that kind of thing. And the um, studies, uh, this one is through the Common Sense Media, finds that teenagers aged 13 to 18 use an average of nine hours of entertainment media per day, and that tweens, that's ages 8 to 12, use an average of six hours a day, not including time spent using media for school and homework. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not picking on any age group, and I'm not picking on uh, the young people, because as far as I'm concerned, they are our future, and they are potentially so much more advanced and wiser than we are. The potential there for them is fabulous. Um, my own experience with the media uh, really kicked in with the the COVID epidemic, and I had to attend court on Zoom, but a, a different kind of a Zoom. We're talking about the court would have a huge screen, and you'd have like 20 
attorney's faces all up there and the judge and you'd have to go through and wait and be careful to make sure that your case is called and it was unnerving that kind of thing is useful and is helpful uh, it's created a whole new dynamic now involving things like court and stuff like that We're, we lose something so valuable and we're talking about value here what is the value what you seek um, because of time constraints, the pastor asked that the church board meet by Zoom uh, last week. And so we all did. And the technology is wonderful. But one of our elders, Chris, said, you know, I don't like this. I like being able to meet in person so I can hug you, I can, I can shake your hand, I can look into your eyes. And that's, that's the kind of thing that we need to guard against. And uh, obviously it served a purpose, but the orientation that Chris has is the orientation that we older folks all have. And we've been deprived of it because we, we're not in a facility where we can meet afterwards in a, in a, uh, in a meeting room or in an auditorium or something like we did before. Because it's so important to be able to have a cup of coffee and break bread or something like that and be able to hear the stories about what people's going in their real lives. Well, along this line, um, there are so many statistics, but I'm not going to hit you with them all. I just want to know that, want you to know that a sampling of the teens across the country understand that kids in the, eight, in the age groups have become addicted to the internet, social media, and digital devices. The 13-year-olds alone, on average, check their, their phone a hundred times a day, a hundred times. And, and they prefer, and when I say they, I'm talking about the younger generation, prefer texting than having a conversation in person or looking somebody in the eye. This digital addiction removes empathy and can cause a real problem for our youth when it comes to how they will deal with society and human relationships and how they are evolving in a social, emotional context. This has actually been entrenched for a long time, and it could very well get worse. And there has got to be some significance to that when it comes to these people voting. Because the age group 18 to 28 recently in California, 63% of them voted for abortion up to birth on a Proposition 1 in the California election retail. 63%. Is there a correlation? There's got to be something about the desensitization of the value of life. So other things I wanted to share with you about that is, is that it's not just the kids that have these kinds of addictions. There's a recent phenom phenomenon that's been developed called nomophobia, and it's uh, no mobile phone available for you. And uh, it describes a psychological attachment some people have to these modern devices. 
Some folks have phones that are so big they're almost like an iPad or something like that. And again, I'm not picking on anybody because we use those devices. Uh, where we live, if it, if it wasn't for our devices, we would ha Kathy would have a tough time. She literally takes care of our billing and everything just using the iPad and all these. And I'll tell you, it isn't easy because every time she turns around, they're asking her to change her code. So her code book has this whiteout, and it's standing up from the page about this high now. <laughs> because she's changing her, her anyway. But um, the internet addiction has, has befallen all of us. Even, even me, when I was first practicing, there would be something you'd have to do uh, called uh, shepherdizing a case. And under case law, which is called star decisis, if you believed a case supported your position, was actually even the law on the subject, you'd have to go to your library, pull out the book, go to the page where the case is, then you'd have to go to this great big book, weighed about 80 pounds, called The Shepherds. And they were big, thick books. And you'd go to that case, and you'd open it up, and you'd find the case. And then beneath it, and this is always updated, beneath it, it would have all the other cases that cited that case, either to support it or to distinguish it, or to overrule it, set it aside. And so you're always looking to see, is it still good law? Well, that would take sometimes hours, and you'd have these books spread out all over the library because you'd pull all those other cases to see if, how they referenced it. And it was time-consuming. Now, because of the internet, you have a program. I used LexisNexis, and there were some others, but that was the main one that the courts use. And you could bring that case up, and then you could look at the uh, menu and it would tell you how many other cases were cited, you, citing this case, how many followed it, how many distinguished it, or whether it's actually been, been set aside. And so it saves an unbelievable amount of time. It's wonderful. And if you remember the old days when you had to go to the library and you had to get into the card catalog and you had pull that thing out, you know, and you'd be careful you wouldn't pull it all the way because it was as long as from here to the door. Um, the time we spent doing that, it was amazing. We've cut, that God has allowed us to cut so much time off. So I'm not picking on the, the, the system as it is, but we have not just an, a, an addiction, but we have a dependency. They really have us, don't they? I mean, you, you literally... You want to know something, you've got to log on. You've got to find out what the company says or what the rules are and that kind of thing. Internet addiction especially uh, affects the young people, and symptoms include feelings of desperation and anxiety when separated from their phones. It has also been shown that there is a dopamine boost from overusing certain social medias, which contributes to the uh, addiction explanation. An interesting experiment is to ask yourself, quote, how much anxiety would you feel without your mobile phone, unquote? 
or to perhaps try not to use a phone for a certain amount of time. Now, when you have your bills come due, and of our place up there, it's like, will we have a reliable internet? Because you've got to watch the calendar, and Kathy's always good at making sure stuff gets paid a week in advance or whatever. But, I mean, it can be, those things can be an issue. But she's not feeling anxious about not having her phone. She's feeling anxious about not having connectivity. And that's a whole new part of it, too. Because you may have all the devices in the world, and if you don't have an Internet, you're not getting in and you're not logging on to anything. So the Internet is quickly becoming a virtual conduit to the world and integration of technology. Internet and information can become an alternate, uh, alternate reality that is more attractive than actual reality. Internet users are spending a lot more time on their computers and less time with family and friends and can show symptoms of withdrawal or discomfort when separated from computers. That's the, that's the reality of, of how things are for us. Because if we didn't have them, we we would actually maybe lose complete contact with our relatives or our friends. So it's blessed us that way, but in other ways, it's, it's substituting reality. So what we're seeking is something with lasting value. And how many of us can remember something that was done that we did with people on the internet? Not too much. What about things that happen in person? Well, that's things that matter. So that brings us to the issue of eternal and spiritual seeking. Without that, we have no value. We don't have meaning in our lives. Now, some, of the, some people, they've never been exposed to this. But my second uh, scripture is Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. This is uh, John 4, verse 10. Now, you know that uh, Jesus had gone to uh, Samaria. He intentionally went to Samaria because he wanted it documented in scripture as to what his mission was. And his mission was to save everybody, not just the Jews. So he gets there and there's a woman there. And he's hungry and he's tired and he's thirsty. And the disciples had gone off to get food in the village. And he asked this woman to get me a drink of water, draw it up. And she said, why are you even talking to me? You know, I'm, you're, you're prohibited because you're a Jew to talk to me. Otherwise, you might be ostracized by your peers. And he answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who, it, and, and who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. There we are with respect to the catalyst in this whole presentation, and that's gifts, 
Remember, you're seeking in the Sears Wish book. Ultimately, you wanted those gifts. And here, he's talking about a gift from God. Living water. And so, the lasting value is you will have living water if you get this gift from God. And then that goes on to say that you won't, he says, you won't thirst anymore. Whoever drinks from this well is going to thirst again, but whoever drinks from the water that he gives will never thirst. I, I invite you to read that whole story. It's wonderful. And it's significant in that it's the earliest um, presentation of blessings to the Gentiles in Jesus' early ministry. Speaking of gifts, there's, some, there, there's a side track that I want to take. And that has to do with all the different gifts that you've experienced or, or that have come your way. The gift of health is immeasurably valuable. The older you get, it's like everything else pales to it. When you're young, the gifts that you want is success, accomplishment, prosperity, status, um, those kinds of things. And while those gifts are important, they'll start to fade. One gift that won't fade, if you experience this, and you will, everyone in this room will, and you will today, and you will every day to the end of your life, you will experience the gift of power. Something that you will be dealt with will be allocated to you. The power of over somebody or something to make a difference. And I would like to suggest to you that the power that you have can only be administered properly under the guidance of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that you'll be able to succeed and to be satisfied about that. I have brought today something that I wanted to share with you, and it's, 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 it's very interesting. This is out of a, a, a set of journals from the great Robert E. Lee, who led the South during the Civil War. Now, after the war is over, he, is, he goes on, goes back to Virginia, and he's a productive man in his community. And then he passes away in 1870. And amongst his effects are notes that he prepared. And it says that during the war, he summarized his code when he wrote these words on a scrap of paper that nobody saw until after his death. Remember, we're talking about power here. Quote, the forbearing use of power does not only form a touchstone, but the manner in which an individual enjoys certain advantages over others is a test of a true gentleman. The power which the strong have over the weak 
the employer over the employed, the educated over the unlettered, the experienced over the confiding, even the clever over the silly, the forbearance, the forbearing or inoffensive use of all this power or authority, or a total abstinence from it when the case admits it, will show the gentleman in plain sight. What he's saying is, in so many contexts, whether you're the boss, uh, you have authority given to you by the government, and haven't we seen big abuses in that in our lifetime, in the most recent time? The way COVID was misrepresented and handled, and how many people died because they mishandled it and lied to us. The gentleman does not needlessly and unnecessarily remind an offender of a wrong he may have committed against him. He can not only forgive, he can forget. And he strives for that nobleness of self and mildness of character, which imparts sufficient strength to let the past be but the past. A true man of honor feels humbled himself when he cannot help humbling others. How do you humble others? You give them grace, and somehow they'll know that you didn't exact from them some kind of cost or deprivation of liberty or humiliation when you could have. And I've seen it many, many times in my life and in, in, in my practice, especially when I did criminal defense. So I had to share that with you. I thought it was important because everybody going forward and leaving here is going to experience, oh, you know, I have, <clears throat> I have a choice to make. And I can either cause someone to be punished or point out something they did wrong, or I can cover a sin. And there's a lot of that available to us. And we need it as well, because we'll be in the offending side probably every day. So how does one handle power right? And how does one have something that is valuable today, tomorrow, and forever? And for those that you that already have the Spirit of Christ from before. I wanted to share with you also um, the story of the, uh, the last scripture that I have. Now, this is also still fairly early in Jesus' ministry when he was going to go to Jerusalem. And there were three big festivals that the Jews had to attend. They were required to attend, specifically the males in this instant, the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the feast of celebrating and being thankful for the harvest. And so... Jesus was approached by his brothers who told him, you know, you've got to go to Jerusalem. You need to do some uh, works there and that kind of thing and increase your, 
your popularity. And he said no. And the reason he said no was is because it wasn't his time, but more importantly, he was not interested in personal fame. He didn't want people to grandize him and lift him up just because he was healing them, and also because he knew that the people already there in power hated him. So he told him he's not going. So they went ahead and went. Now, at this festival, the, uh, the Festival of Tabernacles, typically the priest would take water from the, from the pool of Salaam and put it in a gold picture and take it in to the sanctuary and pour it into a silver vessel while the the people would sing and praise the Lord. And it was a form of worship to God, asking for rain for the upcoming planting and things of that nature. So the, so the symbol of water is significant in what we've already discussed and what we'll discuss in a moment. This is what was going to occur. And this had occurred over and over and over again over the years. So Jesus comes kind of secretly to the feast and the scripture says, this is John 7, 37 to 39, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's a quote. Now the writer, John, says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, the King James Version says it in a slightly different way, and there is significance in that. The King James Version uh, says that he, he stood up and he cried. And I'm telling you, if it says he cried as opposed to he spoke, what does that tell you? He was giving emphasis and he was speaking with authority and probably shouting. Okay? He's probably shouting because he knows the significance of the water too. And the King James Version says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And the term belly in the Jewish culture means the inward being, not just the heart, but the inward being. It was the seat of passion in the Jewish culture. And so it is significant that he was saying this right when this water was occurring that was being poured out that people were hoping for but would 
still require you to drink again. This is why it's so significant that he go away and that he send the Holy Spirit. Because on the day of Pentecost, when the, when the Spirit was poured out to them, this is what was uh, referenced right here. He says, but this, that this spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing on him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And to tie this back in with the importance of church and face-to-face meetings and touchings and embracings and speaking words face-to-face, the significance of that is, is that in the ninth chapter of Acts, and this completes us, by the way, in the ninth chapter of Acts, when the apostles encountered a group of people, they asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we haven't even as much as heard of such a thing as the Holy Ghost. And it says they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And the evidence back then was is that they were speaking in tongues. It was just like the book of Acts and chapter 2. When there they were all at one place, flames came in, they began speaking in other tongues. Peter told up and said, this, this is not, these men aren't drunk, but this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. And that's exactly what happened. They said, well, what do we do? And these are the bystanders, by the way, not the ones that were told by Jesus to wait. And he says, men and brethren, what do we do? And he says, repent, be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the same gift of God that Jesus spoke of in John 4 to the woman at the well. That gift, by the way, never fades away. And the value of it grows and grows and grows while the value of everything else that you have, all the material things that you have, Fade and fade and fade. And that gift, by the way, when it's in others, tends to glow and glow and glow greater the more of us are together in one accord for the same purpose of worshiping him and glorifying him. And here I am, thinking I was going to get done earlier. (laughs) I want you all... To know how much I appreciate you listening. And I'm going to ask the Lord to bless us and dismiss us. Father, you are so kind to us because in an earthly vessels, you've put this treasure in us. And that this spirit that's in us is going to quicken us when we close our eyes for the last time and go up to be with you. So we're thankful for it. It confounds us. It's beyond our comprehension that you'd be so kind as to give us this. So we ask that you be with each one of us today. Go with us. Bless our families. Bless our work week. Bless our needs, God. Bless those that are seeking uh, your healings, God, and blessings. 
and give prosperity to all those, Lord, that are here. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.